have our lesson together. So, reading from Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, referring back to the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. I was reminded of this <coughs> passage yesterday <coughs> at the wedding <coughs> and felt like I should uh, share it with us this morning to begin with. If any of you have a prayer request or something you'd like us to be praying for, um, if you'd share it at this point, we'll have a note of prayers, prayer before we start our class. John? Uh, pray for my mother because she's going in for the second phase of fixing her heart, and this is the surgery, surgical intensive part next Monday. Okay. Pray for John's mom next Monday. She has surgery, and John mentioned to me that Penny is with her mom today. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Someone else? Okay, Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the rain that's outside. We know it's inconvenient, but we also know that we need it, and we thank you for it. We thank you that you are a God who provides all of our needs, including the rain. So we praise you for that. We thank you for today's study, for the scripture, for our opportunity to <clears throat> learn more about in the next few weeks, learn more about your dear son, come to love him more, come to respect and know about his work and ministry more. I pray that you'll give us insight as we open the Word of God and study these things together. I do pray for John's mom as she has this upcoming surgery next week, that you would comfort her during this next week, and then allow the doctors to have great wisdom and great skill as they uh, respond to her physical needs through surgery. We think of Penny as she ministers to her mom today, that you will also encourage her and strengthen her for that task. Father, we pray for this family that's been managed for Gwyneth and Julia and Lydia. We ask that you'll just comfort them and carry them through this difficult time. There will be a time in the future when they'll look back and realize that you carried them through this time, even though they may be so overwhelmed by circumstances right now that they're not aware of that. But we thank you again for your sustaining power, for your care, and for your watch care over each one of us. We are aware today of the 
anniversary of this particular date in our history. And it's probably the most significant recent event in our history. And we think of those that are still probably troubled by the events of that day. And we thank you for all those that were courageous and responded to their duties on that day. And we thank you again for Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we study together, uh, a couple things just for uh, notice. I will um, be planning to start a class at 20 after 9. That will give you time if you come for coffee or whatever to grab your cup, cup of coffee and, and come up here. And then my goal will be to be over by about 5 after 10. Each week that will give you time to find your favorite seat or do whatever else you need to do. Uh, not too long after 5 after 10 that you can't, those of you in the back can't really hear very well anyway because of the people in the outside talking. So we'll try to be done by that time. That, that's about 40 or 45 minutes. That's long enough for you to listen to anybody. And so we'll probably try to have it wrapped up by that, by that particular point in time. So uh, if you look at the top of your notes, uh, as we sub study this subject, uh, I did have the opportunity to touch, te study this, teach this study, study uh, nine years ago. Uh, but as we pursue this study, uh, obviously the more you know about someone, the more you come to love them and appreciate them, so we can never know too much about Jesus Christ. And so we're going to uh, sort of pursue it from that direction. So we've already read from Colossians chapter 1. If you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, please. At this point, as Matthew records these events of the life of Christ, obviously Christ has been ministering for a fairly, uh, in comparison to his total ministry, a fairly significant amount of time. And uh, he comes to this particular place and he begins to question um, the disciples, these men that have spent hours and hours with him. You ever stop to think about what a day must have been like? when you ha they had the opportunity to actually spend hours with Christ from, from morning to, to bedtime and uh, listen to all the things he taught them. Uh, we just have a smattering of the actual things that he said to the disciples. Um, in my, what I would refer to as my sanctified imagination, I can just imagine him day after day just taking him, them, these disciples through the, the Old Testament and just unfolding page after page of, after page of, the, of the Old Testament showing these disciples the truths that they would need to know as they continue to minister into the future. Uh, the the uh, pages from the Old Testament that uh, taught about Jesus Christ personally and specifically. Um, I don't know, I, that's just part of what I'm sure that they were involved in, but I know that, that he was preparing them from the very beginning to be able to carry on this, what was to become a worldwide ministry to establish the foundations and to lead people on into their appreciation of who God is and what God could do for them. And so, you know, but just day after day and, and hour after hour they spent together uh, available for questions uh, and obviously uh, receiving instruction from the very best teachers that's ever lived. And so that, that was what was happening in this particular time and setting. And so as we arrive at Matthew chapter 16, and as we arrive down into verse 13, I'll read the text here before you. When Jesus came into this region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So this is my introduction into this particular study is this answering this particular question. First, um, Christ asked the disciples, who are men? Have, what do you hear people when you're out there maybe going to, to buy food or doing the different things that you're, that you're doing? Uh, what do you hear being said about me? What's, what are people saying? Who am I? Uh, so at this point, obviously, uh, a lot of the people were recognizing that this person, this Jesus of Nazareth, was uh, somebody unique, uh, somebody entirely different than their other neighbors, their other family members, their other acquaintances. And so they were speculating. There was a discussion. You know, who is this person that's doing these things that have said these things? And so some said, well, some of, it, some of you are John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Well, it's sort of interesting. That's a curious response since Jesus was on the scene at the same time as John the Baptizer before John was, was put to death. And obviously Jesus even came to John to be baptized. As, as shared with us in, in uh, Matthew 3 and John chapter 1, etc. But nevertheless, people were, you know, that was one of the answers they were getting, giving. And then they went back to some of the Old Testament names that they were familiar with and also sh shared them. And so that was uh, the response that men were saying. Later on in our lessons, uh, there will be, I'll have a lesson on uh, what is basically the false teachings about who Jesus Christ is. And we'll sort of label that under the broad topic of who do men say that Jesus is over history and over time and even in even today who do, what is that description of who Jesus is those answers will not be Elijah or John the Baptist or any of those answers there'll be different answers er erroneous answers but we'll we will look at them at a later time but Simon Peter here gives a what we would call a correct answer he says to Jesus you are the Christ now the significance of that is what what is this what is the significance of this word Christ that we have here in the text? What is another word that you might substitute for the word, for the word Christ from the Old Testament? Messiah, okay? So that is, the other, that is what Peter was saying. That's what the, he and the, the disciples probably heard was Peter say, you are the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for, Okay. Now, obviously, at this point in time, a lot of the Jews had very misplaced ideas about who the Messiah was, what the Messiah was going to do, but this is what Peter says. This is his first part of his statement. You're the, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Or, if we could put it out there literally, you are the anointed one. Now, anointed by God, uh, those uh, offices that received anointing to make them official members of, the, of that particular uh, task were, were prophets, priests, and kings. Now, obviously, we'll see in a, again in our study how Christ uh, serves in those three roles uh, in, our, in his relationship to caring for us in our daily lives as prophet, priest, and king. So he says, you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Christos. And so, and, and if we just ended there and it was just an exclamation point or whatever in the text, we would be like, Great answer, Peter. Really, really satisfied answer. We're, we're happy with that answer. 
But Peter went on to give a much deeper uh, answer as he finished out this particular text and he finished his particular quote. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that is who we're going to be studying about over the course of the next couple, three months is this person who is literally the Son of the living God. Peter could not have boiled any theological answer down any more condensed, any more loaded with significance than this particular statement, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now for us, again, I will talk about the word son because it, it is a word I think we need to be constantly reminded of, that the Bible uses the word son differently than we use the word son. And I will more or less illustrate that by just saying that you know, when um, my wife delivered our second child, who was a boy, from the very beginning, when I referred to my son Robert, I referred to him as my son. I didn't say my boy child, okay? I said my son. That's just the way we use that word. But in the biblical context, the word son indicates much more than that. It indicates much more than just a male child. It indicates someone who has come to the place of being ready to receive an inheritance, to accept responsibility, and it is someone that in the family structure was then declared as equal with the father. So the father at that particular point would, would treat his son as an equal in business or in their everyday task. And so when the Bible uses the word son, it is not just the idea of a descendant. It is, not, it is certainly not just limited to the idea of someone that has been uh, brought from into, into life. But the word son is to describe someone who is equal with the father. And so when he talks about the son of the living God, he is saying you are the one that is equal to, in status and authority and responsibility, to the living God. And so that, you know, again, just as a reminder that we need to be careful. We use a word differently than the Bible uses the word. So when we see the word in the scripture referring to Jesus Christ, that it is referring to someone who is equal, fully God. Uh, everything that is true about God is true about his son, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. And so this is Peter's loaded statement. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son, the very equal of the living God. I think it's very important that Peter also demonstrates his faith, his trust, and this one that he's serving is not just a created God like all the people around them ser served, not an idol, but some, someone, a person who is literally alive, literally living. So he is the Christ, the son of the living God. So there's a statement there on your paper that I won't read to you. You're perfectly capable of reading it. And then I'm going to now involve you as much as I can in our, in our class together, together today. I want this side of the uh, room here, on the, over here, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. I want you to just work as individuals, or if you're here with your spouse, you can work together as a couple. Uh, I want you to, to read through Hebrews chapter 1, and I want you to pull out from Hebrews chapter 1 the things that Hebrews is teaching you about who Jesus Christ is, about who this living this son of the living God is, as the author of Hebrews, maybe another 40 years later, 35 years later, as he shares this truth that he is going to 
tell us about who Jesus Christ is. So I, I need this side of the room to take a few minutes to do that. Uh, it don't matter. It doesn't, I won't, we don't mind if you talk or visit, you know, in that immediate setting. And then we'll come back to you and we'll get what input you can share from us in Hebrews chapter 1. And this side of the room, I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 1. Now, John chapter 1 is a long chapter. Uh, pretty much if you get down to verse 29, I'll be okay with that. If you get past verse 29, that'll be great. But I want you to take the first chapter of John. That'll be everybody to my, to my left. And I want you to make note of the things that you see there in John chapter 1 that teach you about Jesus Christ. I'll give you a few minutes and we'll, then we'll get, come back together and discuss it. Okay? Thank you. This side of the room over here, since it's such a long section, if some of you just want to say, well, I, I'll skip the first five verses and look at verses X, X, X to Y, that's fine also, to, so you have an opportunity to focus on something.
right now we're this silent room is looking at John chapter one, just picking out things from John chapter one that teach us about Jesus, okay. about Christ. Okay, I don't know how far you have been able to get, but some of you can maybe can keep looking at while we're also discussing. But if I get everybody now to turn to Hebrews chapter 1 while we're talking about Hebrews chapter 1, and um, we'll go from there. So what title does this passage, Hebrews chapter 1, use to refer to Jesus Christ? Okay. Just look, I was just looking simply for the title son that it refers to him as, okay? Um, so I, I knew that was, I knew when I was going to ask that question, it was not going to be, a, it was what, sometimes teachers ask questions they don't get the right answers for because teachers aren't smart enough to ask the right questions. But uh, so anyway, but I was looking for the word son. That, that seems to be, comes up n- not a lot of times, but enough times to, to refer to this as the, the title. So we won't have to do that, don't have to do this in necessarily uh, verse order. So if you have something that you've noted from the um, passage, uh, just raise your hand, give us a verse. We'll look at the verse and, and talk about that briefly. Okay, John? Okay. Someone else from Hebrews chapter 1? Ann? Okay. So he is, uh, becomes the communicator between God, the Godhead and man. Okay. And also we'll, we'll talk about the other things that Ann mentioned uh, in just a moment or two. Someone else? You don't want me to call you on you by name, do you? No, I wouldn't do that. I, don't, I haven't done that, so I won't start now. Anyone? Okay. The ultimate spokesman? Okay. So we see God communicating. We see that as, as the author of the book of Hebrews writes that he identifies Jesus as the, the one that now is, has appeared, has had an earthly ministry, and is now going to uh, be the one that is going to be speaking for the Godhead. Uh, obviously, we know from other studies and other contexts that the book of Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews is written to demonstrate the superiority of Christ, <clears throat> the faithfulness of Christ, the availability of Christ, uh, and so forth as we, as we move along. But we start out with this reference to him being the communicator. And, uh, and, and he continues to be that. And uh, even people that do not believe in him as the son of the living God will un- 
unknowingly uh, quote, who, quote Jesus Christ, some of the things that Jesus Christ has said in his teachings. People, you, you know what I'm talking about. You all of a sudden like, wow, do they realize they're quoting the Bible? Do they realize that they're, they're making a biblical reference when they, when they talk about that? Um, one of the ones that you hear so often is the David Goliath uh, reference, you know, this little college is playing this big college, and, and you've got, you know, David playing Goliath, and I was like, do you really understand all that you're, that you're doing when you make that, use that reference, and uh, behind all of that story, but uh, anyway, besides all that, but, so, um, he's been appointed heir, uh, who do you appoint an heir? Those of you that have drawn up a will, who, who are you leaving as your heirs? Some, just some incidental person, some person you've never heard of, some outskirts person? Children, family, right? Somebody that you're, that you're uh, relate, uh, related to or acquainted with, you know? So just the very fact that he's appointed heir demonstrates this, this relationship between the father, before the father and the son. He's seen as the creator in this passage, through whom also he made the worlds. And then Anne referred to verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And um, I'm going to try to illustrate this. I don't know if it will mean a lot to us anymore, but um, when my father, many, many years ago, started taking pictures with a 35-millimeter camera, he had a light meter that he used to take pictures with. Now, all, the, all we do now is point and shoot, and the, and the picture turns out really, really well, Okay. But it used to be a process. You had to take a light reading off of your subject you were going to take a picture of. Uh, and then you had, uh, and you, and you had a speed that you set the camera at. You had an, that transferred, and then the reading transferred into an f-stop. You set your camera that way and so forth before you took your picture. So if, if listen to what I'm saying, if you had an instrument that was capable of measuring the spiritual glory of God the Father, and you were able to approach God the Father, and you were able to take that measurement with your spiritual light meter, and you took a measurement of God the Father with your spiritual light meter, and you turned that spiritual light meter to Jesus Christ, God's Son, the reading on that light meter would be exactly the same. No difference, no change of difference at all. I can remember my dad would take, we'd have somebody would have a light-colored shirt on, a couple of people would have dark-colored shirts on, and he would take a reading off each person, and then he would, if the difference was very great, he would, he would blend the difference. He would make, get an average between the two distances, the two readings, in order to set his camera, okay? No, there is no need to do that. When you're, con- when you're comparing who God the Father is and God the Son is, there is no difference at all. That spiritual light meter would give you exactly the same reading in both situations, Okay, And if somehow you were able to capture whatever form you were observing God the Father in, and we know that he's spirit, but just use your imagination a little bit here. If you were able to capture exactly the form that God the Father represented, and then you took the form that God the Son represented and put it over top of the form that God the Father made, they would be absolutely exact as far as a deity. There is no lack in the person of Jesus Christ as to his radiance or brightness or as to his express image. They're exactly the same. You cannot counterfeit who God the Father is 
you could only see the reality of who the God the Son is through that, this person of Jesus Christ. So we have that, again, down through here. Um, Laura mentioned earlier, I, maybe, Laura, you had in mind verse, um, the end of verse 3, when you talked about his supremacy and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he had by his inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And so in this passage, he's the redeemer. He's the creator. He's the sovereign one. He upholds all things by his power. And, and it goes on down through then the passage demonstrating different ways of how he's better. He's better than all the prophets because he's the ultimate communicator. He's better than the angels as it's declared over and over again here. And as John shared his particular verse with him. And so he, and he's declared very carefully today, you are my son and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So there's just a great deal of information here over the years as I have dealt with people's questions about who Jesus Christ is and so forth. I often will take them to this particular chapter because it's it's not one of those mystery chapters. It's not difficult to understand. It is the truths that it teaches are rather straightforward, rather simple. And even though I may not satisfy somebody's questions with the first look at the passage, if they will continue to look at the passage on their own or reflect on the passage on their own, oftentimes they will then come to correct conclusions about who Jesus Christ is. And so I encourage you also to use this passage as a reminder in your life of who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplishes for us, uh, not only past, but present and into, into the future. Okay, turn with me to John chapter 1, please. As we turn there, let me mention to you that if, as you come into this class setting, if you, there's some specific question that you have about the subject of Christology, about the subject of who Jesus Christ is and his ministry, uh, feel free to write that down, share it with me, um, send me a text um, or whatever. Uh, I will try then in the course of the overall lesson plans to answer your question. Uh, if I get a question that I don't know how it fits into the answer plan, lesson plan, I may say to you, if you ask this particular question, let me know. We'll talk about it, come, try to come to some, some biblical resolution about it. So I am more than open to those kind of questions if you have them, either to be incorporated into the, the lessons themselves or to be answered on, in, on an individual basis. Uh, Many of the lessons will not really lend themselves necessarily to a lot of your interaction and discussion, but I do want your interaction and discussion. Um, I want you to, to feel like you have uh, partially at least digested the information that, we, that you're, we're going to share with you. We don't want it just to go away with a, you know, like your cart full. We want that cart to be useful in, in, in some, some practical way. So, uh, saying all that, and I uh, remind you again, if you have questions, to let me know about those questions. What about this group over here? You're going to talk more than this group over here and tell me more about who Jesus Christ is from, from John chapter 1? Yes, sir. 
He's the light, okay? And we find that a couple times in the scripture here and in John chapter 8. Caleb? He's the word. What, does anybody want to talk about what you hear when you hear this particular title or description? He is the word. You can, in this side, can talk if you, if you really feel like you're ready and prepared, you're feel free, free to answer. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. So in in summary, he this word describes his communication ability, responsibility, not only communicating in words, but as you said, communicating his glory, his uh, who he is, and what he's all about. Am I capturing it? Okay. John. Okay. So, he, um, Mike, you want to talk? Yeah, yeah so um, he says he was with God, the Word was with God, and he was God. So, um, first off, he was with God in the beginning, so he existed before he was born in flesh. Um, and he was God. Okay. Okay. Um, like when you think about um, the essence of something, like an orange, you know, like what's the essence of that orange? Everything that makes up that orange. Okay. You can't like, like. Well, that's not a really good analogy because you cut part of. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so um, so Mike sort of alluded to it. Mike sort of alluded to an issue or a problem that we sometimes have, and there is no illustration that perfectly illustrates who God is or the Trinity is or whatever. But there are analogies or illustrations that help us appreciate or understand the concepts that we're trying to deal with. It, it is beyond us wrapping our minds around some of these concepts. But sometimes some of these things that we talk about that are illustrations or analogies will, in fact, give us a little bit of insight, give, make us feel like we have a little more uh, better handle on some of these subjects as we move along. So uh, as the, in the beginning was the word. So, the, you know, in the, the word in the beginning, in the beginning takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 in our minds as the scripture starts within the beginning, God created. Um, we do have this particular title used to describe the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the original language, it's, it's the word logos. Uh, and here in our, in our English text, it, it is the word word. Uh, we could probably translate or, or also substitute maybe like the word message. This is the, Christ comes as the entire 
comprehensive, exhaustive report on who God is, on who God the Father is. This, everything you need to know about who God the Father is is contained in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He is that entire encapsulated report of, of ministry, and so he comes in that particular situation. It does talk about, as Mike talked about, he's with God. Um, here we see an expression that's, that's talking about him being face-to-face with God, which again would indicate not that some people believe that God, it, when we talk about God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, it is actually just one person putting on different hats, if I can use that expression, different re- roles or responsibilities. So it's just one God with three different ways of, of letting man see, see who he is. We do not believe that. We believe that, that God is three distinct persons who are co-equal, co- co-eternal, and co-existent, but they are three distinct persons. So this very expression that John starts here with, that he was with God, allows us to begin to understand that John comprehends that Christ is indeed separate from God the Father in the sense of personality and person, of individual personality. And then it also talks about it, and so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now the word was in this particular situation would be, it's, a, it's obviously grammar. How many of you like grammar? Anybody? Oh, some of you like grammar. Okay. I also happen to like grammar, uh, but um, uh, in, a, in a grammatical situation, this word was is equivalent to, and I'm going to use this word twice almost, but it's equivalent to the mathematical symbol of equal. And so it, when it says in the word was God, it is, you could substitute the mathematical symbol there that the word equals God, okay? So, so just... Think about that for just a moment. You know, if two equals two and, and word equals God, then God was word, okay? So there is no question here is in John's mind that he is describing someone that was equal with God. Now, many of you may be aware and familiar with, obviously, that the Jehovah's Witnesses will then want to substitute in here the word a, that the word was a God. There is no reason to do that from, an orig- from a study of the original language for a couple reasons, but let me just say the simplest reason. There is not, is not a Greek word for the word A. So when they put the word A in a translation, it is for our benefit because we are used to having words with an A or an AN that precedes it, Okay? But, the, but they would never, the, when they, it just simply says what it says here in, the, in our English text. The word was God. To them it meant the God. Now if they added the article, it just emphasized identity. It emphasized personal identity of who this person was. John did not feel needed to do that. He is building an argument that this one, this word was with God and this word was God. And so there is no need to put either the word the or a here, but the, to substitute the word a is absolutely erroneous from, every, from a couple of different vantage points from a gram, grammatical standpoint. So I don't know what that tells you one way or the other except just to say to you that don't get confused by someone that wants to say something to you that is not, that is not true to the biblical text 
or, or to biblical theology, <coughs> either one, okay? So we're not getting very far in John, are we? Uh, somebody else wants to share with us something you're gleaning from this particular chapter about who God is. Yes, sir. Okay, so we. Okay, so the son has equal authority to do to grant life and to grant. Very good, excellent. Yes, sir. Yes, the 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 Lamb of God, which came to take away the sin of the world. And this, this John captures here, obviously, the ministry that Christ is going to accomplish during his earthly ministry. He's going to teach. He's going to do miracles. But his ultimate purpose is to die on the cross for our sins, to become the Lamb of God, to take away the sins. Okay? Someone else? Yes, sir. Yes. So, yeah, so, you, you know, you start out with here, and you're, you're reading through John, and it's like, well, who is the Word? You could, I mean, you could be confused or not know who the Word refers to. But in their setting, they probably understood it quicker than we might understand it. Now, some of us have heard these stories from so long ago that we don't remember when we first started hearing these stories. Dale's probably one of them. I'm one of them. Uh, and so we, don't, we probably never were confused by coming to a chapter like chapter 1 of John, but some people who had never read John could be confused about that to begin with. I'll get maybe back to you, maybe. And so, um, and so here, that's, this finally, we finally in verse 14 know where John's going with this particular thing, and the word was made flesh, right? And so finally we, we know that here, here is where John's been heading with this particular introduction is a reference to the person he loved, that he served with, that he walked and talked with, Jesus of Nazareth. We're going to see more of that quickly in the context, but John 14 is where that first really jumps up and comes to, to bear. And in verse 14, it also talks about, just, just quickly, and dwelt. Anybody have a different word there? In verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Anybody have a different word? I'm reading from the New King James, by the way, in case anybody's wondering. And the reason I am is because it's large print and I can read it. So <laughs> besides having read out of it for years, but uh, yes, Mike? Um, basically, the same thing. Took up residence. Took up residence. Okay. Anybody else have diff- something different in that particular chapter, verse, excuse me? Um, does anybody know what's behind this word dwelt or took up residence? Anybody? from other prior studies or your own study, know what's behind this word? Tabernacled. He tabernacled, okay? Uh, taking, a, again, John taking us as a reader back to the, into the Old Testament. Takes us back into the Old Testament as he starts the book, in the beginning. And now he takes us back into the Old Testament again with this concept that Jesus Christ came and dwelt and literally they, they would have read the word tabernacled with them. Okay, that's what Christ did. That's what John saw Christ doing for him in his public ministry was acting as a tabernacle. Now, if you've studied much about the Old Testament tabernacle, you know it is absolutely full of comparisons or pictures 
of who Jesus Christ is and how the people of Israel had to learn how to relate to God, to their God, who their God, who their Yahweh, the one that delivered them from Egyptian bondage, who this God was. That tabernacle was a daily reminder to them of so many truths about what we find in the New Testament about who Jesus Christ is. And so John is seeing the Word tabernacling among them, teaching them, being a living example to them every day of who God is and how God wants to relate to his people in their everyday life. And so, again, something very significant out of this particular passage. And the other thing out of that verse that I'd like to mention uh, before we go on, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we dwelt among us. Now, again, if we just stop there, we would know that John is talking about one is God, one that became flesh, but then John adds to that, again, obviously under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, adds to that this particular statement, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John says, lest you get, be led astray, unless you start focusing and concentrating, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, only on the physical side of Christ now, be reminded that the one I'm talking to you about, this word that became flesh, is one that I saw his glory, I saw that he was entirely different than just a, God, just a man, and that he was full of grace and truth, which is only part of the way we would describe Christ, but certainly very significant part. So John is balancing in this ver- particular verse. He's balancing these, this whole matter of what we're going to study at a different other time in our lesson, this person, we, this theotropic being, this God-man that we have here revealed to us in the Scripture. And so John very carefully balances that in this verse. Yes, he became flesh, and yes, he dwelt among us, but he was always, always had that glory, not, not seen every moment of every day, but God, John saw it there on the Mount of Transfiguration, and this one was always full of grace and truth. There was never any question about his character in those daily encounters that we had with him. And so that was what John is sort of balancing in this particular chapter. So I don't know that we'll come back to these two chapters. We certainly didn't exhaust them. Uh, we'll review that this week and, and, and think about it some more. But uh, I encourage you to look at these two chapters. And I know that uh, sometimes, you know, I sit there where you're sitting and go like, oh, yeah, well, like I have extra time this week to do much of anything else. But if you do have extra time to reflect, to, to read through Hebrews chapter 1, to reflect on Again, who Christ is as, re- as revealed in Hebrews chapter 1 and John chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, thank you.